0: Hey, thanks for listening. My name is Miles Cochran. Humboldt Last Week is an audio rundown of Humboldt's last seven days of news. a Way to get caught up while you're doing stuff. Driving, exercising, hiking, walking, doing dishes anytime. Please keep telling friends to subscribe. You could use iTunes, SoundCloud, stuff like that. And remember, the one-stop shop to connect and listen is HumboldtLastWeek.com. Support this week comes from the Jitter Bean Coffee Company. Celebrating 20 years of being a family-owned company in Humboldt County, go visit any of their six locations in Arcata, Eureka, or Fortuna, your locally roasted, community-minded coffee shop. Jitter Bean on your way to a better day. Support also comes from Bongo Boy if you're a recording artist, a filmmaker, or just someone with an audio project. Bongo Boy has been the go-to place in Humboldt County for 15 years, offering state-of-the-art recording, tape archiving, or disc duplication. Call them at 839-5090 or check out bongoboystudio.com. Well, the main word that comes to mind when thinking about Arcata lately is tense. You've probably heard a guy from McKinleyville accused of stabbing an HSU student to death at a house party saw charges dropped. Due to a lack of evidence, the victim was black and the man who saw charges dropped as white. And this spawned a lot of protests. While protesters are angry, wanting justice for the victim, Josiah wanting racial equality. Anger also came from drivers as protesters blocked their exit at the Arcata Safeway. One guy drove his truck through the crowd when North Coast News asked him if he was concerned about the safety of the protesters. He said, quote, no, just my safety. I knew I was going to leave the parking lot, I just didn't know how much damage I was going to get on my way out. Another emotion from this, besides anger, fear. One woman told Kim Kemp she was bullied by the crowd to call the DA's office while her four-year-old was in the car. She said, quote, I felt dirty afterwards. I felt like I did something I would not normally do. Might have acted differently if I didn't have my kid in the car. Hundreds of HSU faculty, staff, and students held a campus walkout to further this message of justice for Josiah... Protests also happened at the Humboldt County Courthouse, again on campus at HSU at Arcata City Hall. Josiah's family met with District Attorney Maggie Fleming for more information as the investigation continues. And Josiah's mom thanked the protesters, and according to Loco, she said she's going to keep coming until she gets justice for her son. A letter from the family of the man who was accused of stabbing Josiah, Kyle Zollner, said finding the real killer should be the priority for all involved at this time, and other attendees of that house party over Easter weekend should fork over fingerprints. Here, a higher up officer with the Marin County Sheriff's Office down in the Bay Area was arrested in Eureka for sexually abusing an underage girl over the span of seven years. Coroner Daryl Harris was booked in Humboldt and sent back down to San Rafael to face four felony counts of child molestation. Hat tip to the Eureka Police Department for helping to bring him in. I saw in the Times Standard the coroner's lawyers are saying this man denies the charges. Did you see the guy skateboarding along 101? He was pumping his way down to L.A. on that thing. Channel 3 said the 48-year-old was on a 700-mile skateboard ride in honor of his father, who passed away due to cancer, and his mom, who was diagnosed with cancer. He's collecting proceeds along the way, 90% for the American Cancer Society, 10% for his mom. So, did you see the trailer for the upcoming movie Woodshock starring Kirsten Dunst? That was released. Thriller shot in Humboldt, directed by a couple of sisters associated with the movie Black Swan. As Loco points out, you can see shots of the lager bar, Eel River, and Arcata Plaza spliced in with less identifiable beaches and forests you've probably all been to. The film will be released September 15th. And I posted a link for the trailer for that Kirsten Dunst movie Woodshock at the Humboldt Last Week Facebook. The guy from Fortuna facing murder charges allegedly stemming from an affair will additionally face charges of assaulting his wife before he killed her lover. Those charges come despite his wife's refusal to testify against him during these preliminary hearings. I saw on North Coast News she was held in contempt of court for refusing to testify. Mad River Union reported she allegedly told a friend he hit her with a revolver. It looks like they'll set a trial date for the murder suspect, John Goldberg, on the 17th. We've got a new sheriff in town. Billy Hansel is a new interim sheriff following Mike Downey's retirement. He's been in law enforcement for 22 years and has worked with EPD, HSU, and the DA's office. Hansel has said he'll run for the official sheriff title next year. Maybe you heard about the tweaker brawl on the boardwalk in Arcata. Cops arrested a man and a woman with meth and or heroin. One of them had a bat. They resisted arrest, and the woman injured a cop, and they even lied and said some other guy had a gun. There was no gun. I saw on Loco that led to a huge police presence, though. What a mess. The two that were arrested were violating parole, clearly. The Manila 5 is now the Manila 4, for now. These young adults are looking at murder and kidnapping charges related to a reported ambush along the road in Manila in the middle of the night. This happened late last year. Uh, I saw in Loco, one of the suspects was ruled as mentally incompetent, so he's out of the trial for now. Child molestation, which was never legally proven, has been alleged and denied as a possible motive for that murder. The other four suspects are facing a possible maximum penalty of life in prison. A woman reportedly trying to pick up her daughter at a crappy hotel by the Eureka co-op was met by a guy with a shotgun. I saw on Channel 3, that's why 4th was shut down there for a bit. So maybe you saw that guy biking around with a trailer that had a rhino on it in Avenue of the Giants and other spots in Humboldt, and no, there was no reason to call the zoo. It was fake. Some actual rhinos weigh in the 5,000-pound range. Could you imagine trying to pull that on a bicycle? I don't think they make a gear for that. A local who spoke with the guy biking around with this fake rhino told Kim Kemp the 250-pound statue is to raise money and awareness for rhinos and other animals that are on the endangered species list. Uh, what? Someone got shot in the face three times with a pellet gun? Channel 3 reported two people were detained in Myrtle Town over that debacle after a one-hour standoff that required a negotiator stemmed from an alleged assault and stolen vehicle investigation. Crazy. couple of dogs and a cat in Humboldt have gotten rabies in the last year, so if you want to see a schedule for cheap vaccinations, I'll post that link at humboldtlastweek.com. Over a year after 200 homeless people were evicted from the marsh behind the Bayshore Mall, it's chilled out quite a bit back there. Eureka Police Chief Andy Mills told the Times-Standard, quote, My wife and I just went back there for a walk on the trail nearby. What a change it is in one year. I did not see one person out there camping illegally. It's definitely safer now, end quote. Which brings me to my next story. Eureka hit the railroad agency with 18 grand in fines, calling their abandoned office building just down the block from Gallagher's in Old Town a crime magnet. Loco reported it's been set on fire four times in the last year. The transient campsite is full of trash, syringes, and literally shit. The 18 grand represents code enforcement penalties, and it looks like those responsible for the property have been told to quote, promptly develop a solution. This is rough. 45-year-old Eric Lively pled not guilty to using his vehicle to murder a beloved member of the community in Shelter Cove. This same guy was arrested in 2013 after he struck and injured another Shelter Cove resident with his truck. The victim's brother, who said he's been feuding with the suspect for years, told Loco his brother was hit multiple times and he believes this was retaliation. There were no witnesses, though. I saw Kim Kemp reported a memorial for the victim. 42-year-old Jesse Earl Simpson coming up in Shelter Cove on the 21st. On his obituary, it says he lived to work. He was mechanical, loved plants, and did yard maintenance. The circus is in town, and some locals are protesting in the name of animal rights, hoping Humble won't buy tickets. I saw on KIM, they say the Culpeper and Meriwether Circus doesn't take proper care of their animals, and other California cities ban exotic animals for entertainment. One protester named Cheryl basically said these animals have to travel around for 90% of their lives in a 5x8 cage performing tricks, and that's a low quality of life. Uh, some driver, um... Allegedly cut off an off-duty cop in Eureka. Oops. Luckily, the officer swerved and got out of the way. I saw on North Coast News the guy admitted to having a couple of drinks, agreed to pull over, and was shortly after arrested for DUI. Now, before we jump into the main story this week, let's check out Humboldt next week. Some events coming up. Tuesday the 16th, Sugar Candy Mountain at Richard's Goat in Arcata.
1: you
0: think that you know. Chill 60s grooves out of Oakland. Doors at 6. Also Tuesday the 16th comedy at the Jambalaya in Arcata doors at 8:30. Wednesday the 17th comedy at the Eureka Inn doors at 9. Friday the 19th Gentlemen Amateurs at 6 Rivers in McKinleyville.
2: We're out for the last time.
0: Soul out of Berkeley doors at 9. Saturday the 20th Edge of the West at Humbrews in Arcata. I made Cosmic Honky Tonk, doors at nine. Also Saturday, the 20th, AMAC and The Height at Six Rivers in McKinleyville.
2: Music is the I found love in the strangest
0: Reggae and hip-hop out of Denver, doors at nine. Well, now it's time to jump into the main story. And just a quick disclaimer, the content you're about to hear is graphic. The mom from Fortuna, who's accused of drunk driving and killing two teenage girls, one of which her own daughter, finally began preliminary hearings last week over at the courthouse in Eureka. This tragic incident happened last summer. 39-year-old Marcy Kitchen pled not guilty to vehicular manslaughter and DUI causing injury. She's also denied fleeing the scene after these two girls were struck and killed by a vehicle while skateboarding on a rural local road south of Fortuna. Kaya Kitchen and Faith Sarnis were 14 years old. Hearing about that hurts deep. Whether you knew these girls and their families or not, it's painful thinking about losing people you love. And these girls were so young with blossoming personalities, so much possibility. Their lives were cut so short during the beginning of those high school years. I spoke with one person close to Faith.
1: She was such a blessing and loved by all, even from birth. She was a very intelligent, thoughtful, caring daughter. She loved sports, and she was good at everything she did. She was a wonderful student, never been in any real trouble. She loved to run. She was a little bit mischievous. Not in a bad way, in a really good way, a funny way. She was always smiling, happy to be alive. Hang on a second. Her mother is a culinary graduate, and she cooks. I mean, she even did her bread. Everything was from scratch, and Faith always helped. Faith would be right there, learning with her mom, helping her mom. Of course, she's a kid. There's times she wants to just get out and play. She was very much of an extrovert, very friendly. Anybody that has ever had contact with her falls in love with her immediately. She's still so precious.
0: And I'll read from Kaya's obituary. She was a beautiful soul full of life and love that loved the outdoors and everything it had to offer, from riding motorcycles to hunting and fishing and riding longboards with her brother and friends. She especially liked to outshoot her brother. She loved to hike in the redwoods with family and friends and find albino redwood trees. She loved the beach, but not the ocean, which is funny because she loved to swim. Always the first one in and the last one out. Kaya was an amazing artist that loved to paint and draw. She had an amazing voice that only few were lucky enough to hear. There's talk of a skate park being built in Fortuna in Kaya's name. These girls, these teenagers with so much possibility, deserved so much more. Why did this happen? I spoke with Sai May of CHP, who discussed the facts his agency learned in the initial weeks after the incident.
3: On the evening of uh, Tuesday, July 12th, two female teenage pedestrians sustained fatal injuries after being struck by a passing light gray-colored Jeep vehicle. At approximately 9.16 p.m., CHP and other agencies responded to the area for the uh, call of a traffic collision. A light gray-colored Jeep was traveling southbound on Eel River Drive south of Kenmar Road at an unknown speed. At that time, two uh, young female teenagers were skateboarding uh, on Kenmar northbound. For unknown reasons, the Jeep struck the teenagers and fled the scene. At the time of the press release, we were uh, looking for the vehicle Uh, We responded to the scene and we were conducting the investigation uh, with the help of Fortuna police and uh, Fortuna volunteer fire personnel. Through uh, several investigative leads and help from the local community and tireless efforts from uh, multiple investigators of the CHP and allied agencies, we were able to uh, recover uh, a gray 2015 Jeep Wrangler that was uh, the vehicle that was involved in this collision. Through the investigation, it was discovered that the vehicle was located at one of the victim's residences. A search warrant was obtained for the property, and we seized uh, any and all evidence that may be related to this uh, tragic incident. Through more uh, investigation and uh, witness statements, a person of interest was uh, Marcy Kitchen. She's the registered owner of the Jeep. This is an unbelievably tragic incident, and uh, it's unfortunate that uh, two young lives were lost. In the wake of the aftermath, the community is going to be shaken for a very long time.
0: Nine days after the incident last summer, CHP asked the public for help locating Marcy and her boyfriend, calling them persons of interest. CHP said they made several failed attempts to contact them for questioning. Marcy's lawyers took issue with that, saying Marcy immediately opened lines of communication with law enforcement, that she made her Jeep available, and she was prepared to surrender upon request. Now, I wonder if the distinction here is that Marcy may have been available for arrest, but maybe not so available for questioning. I don't know. Anyway, she did end up surrendering a little over two months later after the investigation was concluded. That was when an arrest warrant for her was issued. A little over one hour after she was booked, she made bail and was released. Marcy's pre-trial hearings were originally scheduled to happen at the end of November. Her lawyers pushed that date back three times. Like I said, the hearings finally happened last week. Rhonda Parker of the Lost Coast Outpost covered all three days of the preliminary hearings last week. Let's talk about some of her coverage. The Fortuna Police Department said they found Faith with no pulse lying face down and her legs were deformed and twisted. They found Kaya in the bushes, gasping for breath and apparently unconscious. Fortuna police also said they noticed a moderate odor of alcohol coming from Marcy that night. CHP testified that the evening last summer when the collisions happened, it was still light out, dry, and no headlights were required. They said when the girls were hit south of Fortuna on Eel River Drive that they were dragged for 350 feet from the initial point of impact. Dragged that far because the driver was going fast enough to do so, they said. The agency said Marcy noted that she thought she hit a deer... Pulled over, looked back, saw nothing, and then left for home. They said line of sight at the scene of the incident was good enough that other drivers that evening were able to avoid hitting Faith's body before emergency responders arrived. The agency noted paint chips at the scene matched Marcy's Jeep. Imprints from Marcy's license plate were on one of the girl's legs, and imprints of the girl's backsides were found on the Jeep's bumper. The officers noted Marcy admitted to having a couple of drinks that night and that she appeared very drunk, with alcohol in her breath, slurring, unsteady. That later at the hospital, she still appeared drunk and she said Cruz would not let her fly with her daughter to the hospital in Oakland because they thought she was drunk as well. CHP said they learned from Marcy's friend that Marcy said she had been drinking that night, that she hit her daughter and another girl with her vehicle that she requested that the same friend remove weed and some alcohol from her jeep. This friend said he found the jeep parked in a side yard instead of where it was usually parked out front. Finally, CHP said if Marcy was not drunk and speeding, she could have avoided hitting Kaya and Faith. Marcy's 18-year-old son, Jevin, testified. He told the court he heard his mom's friends say that they had hit two, quote, hoochies and bikinis while they were driving. Jevin said he refused when his mom asked him to drive her Jeep into a basketball hoop to make it look like that was the cause of front-end damage. I'll read from Loco's coverage. While cross-examining Jevin this morning, defense attorney Ben Oaken took issue with some of the teen's testimony. Oaken showed Jevin a photo of the basketball hoop, pointed out that it was right next to the marijuana grow room, and if you rammed into it, you would hit the house. He said that would make no sense. Yes, Jevin said. That's why I said it was a stupid idea. Jevin said Marcy was drunk, that the passenger in the jeep said they had hit two girls, and she asked him not to tell anybody what happened that night. Marcy's friend took the stand, a man who was apparently a passenger when the collision happened. He denied saying anything about hitting two girls with a vehicle, and he said Marcy had nothing to drink that day, but also admitted to being drunk enough to lose his memory. Marcy's lawyers reiterated that Marcy has always communicated to everybody involved that she thought she hit a deer. They said everybody in the vehicle believed Marcy had hit a deer until later that night at their house when Marcy's boyfriend noticed the girls were missing. Marcy's lawyers questioned if these girls had enough room to skateboard on the side of Eel River Drive. They said the girls were partially at fault because they were in the middle of the road and had THC in their system. Finally, they said there was simply not enough evidence to hold Marcy liable and not enough evidence to go to trial. After the third day of hearings, the judge did decide that there was enough evidence to send this to trial, and he decided to let a jury decide if Marcy is innocent or not. Looking into this a little bit, it's important to remember the evidence required for a trial is typically way less than the evidence required for a conviction. If anyone's convicted, it has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Again, Kitchen has pled not guilty to vehicular manslaughter and driving under the influence causing death. She's denied fleeing the scene causing harm to multiple victims and she has reportedly maintained that she thought she hit a deer. Her next court date is May 25th. As this has been covered, a lot of people in the community have had a hard time understanding why Marcy's preliminary hearings were pushed back so many times. People have criticized her for using free plane tickets to travel to Mexico and Colombia before her preliminary hearings. She eventually had to surrender her passport to the court. She also had to get special permission to attend a birthday celebration up in Oregon. Dr. Judy Ho is a psychiatrist based out of Los Angeles who's appeared regularly on Dr. Drew and Crime Watch Daily. She's also been featured as a psychology expert on a wide variety of television networks, CNN, HLN, NBC, ABC, list goes on. I spoke with the PhD after she looked into Marcy's case a little bit.
4: You know, people grieve in very different ways, and so there's really not one way of grief. You know, some people do show their emotions right away, they cry right away, and other people look like they're almost kind of numb and stunned. As a public, when we look at somebody grieving in the public eye, I think we have expectations that there should be more emotionality, and, and clearly sometimes we don't have that, and that in itself doesn't make it not a valid way of grieving, but it makes us, as the public, uncomfortable. Like, I think we we have judgments about what grieving should look like. And obviously I haven't treated this woman or seen this woman, but we do have the type of people who have traits associated with what we call antisocial personality, their idea of morality is really misshapen and sometimes it's just not there. Like they just don't have the same kind of ideas about empathy and thinking about other people's suffering and putting themselves in other people's shoes. They just don't really have the ability. And there's different reasons for that, you know. um, Obviously I don't know her back history, but sometimes people can develop those traits because they've had a very traumatic childhood themselves And that can disrupt their ability to attach to other people and to feel empathy and to not basically see other human beings as just pawns for their own goals. You know, she was trying to get somebody to damage the car to make it look like it was damaged through that and and not, you know, because she struck somebody. She clearly doesn't even care what happens to that person, right? She just cares about self-preservation. I just wonder if, she might fit that type of profile, like somebody who just doesn't really have a ton of remorse, isn't all that connected to human emotionality. And that's the kind of person who would be okay with taking trips right afterwards and acting like it's not even happened. My main concern is about her other surviving family members, particularly her son, um, or anybody who's like of a younger age and vulnerable and trying to make sense of this. I really do think that, you know, it's really... It would be imperative for them to get some kind of support you know perhaps even professional support because you know you have to basically live with the fact of okay my mother killed my sister but she's still my mom like how do i make sense of that and she wanted me to be involved in covering this up like what do i do about that information and like it's really hard for the surviving family members to process what she did you know so i think At this time, anybody who is close to her and needs that extra support, they really need to reach out and get it, whether it's from family members or going to a professional, because it's very crucial, you know, this particular point of time. And if they don't spend the time to deal with it and process it now, it could turn into like a post-traumatic stress type of syndrome that later on could, you know, come back to haunt them and affect them in various ways. And so I do think that it would be helpful. And I think the last thing I would say about her is, you know, In this case, I do think that she needs to get, if it's even possible in the impending court case, some kind of like psychological evaluation about the propensity of which type was she? You know, is she the type that kind of has a psychopathic deviant sort of personality trait and doesn't actually really care that much about human beings and attachment and morality, and and therefore something like interventions might be somewhat wasted on her. And really what people need to do is think about applying consequences and the pressure of law and regulation and, like, probation so she doesn't offend again and do something to hurt somebody else, again, in a drunken rage or whatever happens. Or is she that second kind of person who actually is quite normal overall and had an extreme break from reality because she can't live with the fact that she has done this to her own daughter. And that kind of person would have more benefit going to therapy and coming to terms with that and becoming a good citizen after. So I think... Without knowing her myself, I would say there's generally these two types, that it would be good if a professional could actually evaluate her, determine which type she is, and then take into consideration that for her sentencing.
0: Now, while the court process continues, Marcy is dealing with the loss of her teenage daughter and the loss of her daughter's friend. We know a lot of these negative things have been said, but Marcy still does have supporters showing up for her at court. People that say they know without a doubt that she thought she hit a deer, that she's sorry and going through a lot of pain. Camille Riggs has been friends with Marcy for a long time, and she's been showing up for all of her court appearances.
2: I met Marcy on our first, first period, uh, freshman English, the first day of high school. She had just moved here a few days before school started from San Diego, and I was probably the first person that she met, you know, in Fortuna. We quickly became good friends. When she was 16, her sister was killed in a car accident. And um, it was a really tough time for her. It was really tough for her family, and we spent a lot of time together during that time. So I feel like that point when we were 16 really cemented our friendship and sort of, you know, changed us from friends to more like family. She visited me in college, and we've been there for, you know, weddings and divorces and children being born and growing. So, yeah, she's family to me. I really just want people to know that she's a good person and she has a really good heart. She always wanted to be a mother. You know, she talked about that from when we were young. She was a devoted mother. She's a very nurturing person, and she remembers things that are going on with you, and she checks in about those things. I mean, when you would sit down with her, she would ask you about important things that were going on with you, because she cared and she thought about them, you know? You know, she's somebody that I would look to for advice, particularly about my kids. Her children are older than mine, so she kind of had already navigated those waters. She's extraordinarily thoughtful she just did nice things for people she took care of people she's always helping people out Um, she's also very sort of natural kind of hippie girl she was often looking up you know if somebody had a medical ailment she would always kind of find a natural remedy for them to try and she grew her a lot of food and even raised chickens for food She became a mother very young. I think um, we were 21 when Jevin was born, so that was far younger than when I had kids. So, you know, we were sort of in different spots at that time. But she's always been very proud of them and and always very involved with their sports and helping out with their classrooms and their activities and that kind of thing. Um, For a few years, she did work at the post office. She was really good at it. She worked there, I don't know how long, I would say maybe three-ish years, And she did end up quitting that job because it was taking her away from the family. And one thing that she sort of brags about, um, or used to, you know, is that her children never spent a day in daycare. So, I mean, being with the kids was definitely her biggest goal. More recently, she worked for a nutrient, kind of like a, a fertilizer company, and would represent those products at trade shows and stuff like that. Last summer, she was starting to step away from that because it was requiring a lot of travel and she didn't want to be gone that much, you know. I think people should know that she's devastated by the horrible accident and it's changed everyone involved forever. She's so, so, so sorry for the pain caused to all the family members. It's been extraordinary for her to be restricted by the legal process and not be able to talk about that evening at all or reach out to Faith's family to apologize. She's restricted from doing any of that right now. It's absolutely changed her, and it's devastating.
0: Now, only looking at the main charge of vehicular manslaughter, I saw Kim Kemp reported that if Marcy is found guilty of that alone, she could go to prison from anywhere between one to four years. Again, she's pled not guilty to vehicular manslaughter and not guilty to driving under the influence causing death. She's also denied fleeing the scene, causing harm to multiple victims. Marcy's next court date is May 25th. It's possible that's when they'll schedule a trial date. So what do you think? It's a lot of information to take in. Don't hesitate to reach out and connect in the method of your choosing at HumboldtLastWeek.com. Please do be sure to like Humboldt Last Week on Facebook if you haven't already. Real quick, I'd like to thank Bongo Boy Studio and Jitterbean Coffee for sponsoring this episode. Remember, if you're a musician, definitely utilize the pros at Bongo Boy. And if you like coffee, Jitterbean will wake you up the local way. Um, Congratulations to all the graduates out there. And I'll talk to you again next week. Bye.